Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Congresswoman Haley Stevens joins the program today. We'll talk about the Russian invasion of Ukraine and Congress's role. And we'll talk about her bid for re-election in Michigan's new 11th congressional district. That race pits her against fellow Democratic incumbent Congressman Andy Levin. And I'll talk with Gongwa reporter Ben Solis about everything you need to know about how redistricting has changed your representation in Washington and Lansing. That's all next on Detroit Today right after the news. Detroit Today is supported by Michigan School of Psychology in Farmington Hills, educating psychologists today who will transform our world tomorrow. Learn more at msp.edu. Hello and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer, sitting in for Stephen Henderson today. What most of the world has feared for weeks is now reality. Russia has launched military operations in Ukraine. They've invaded. Russian President Vladimir Putin announced the operations late last night for those of us here in America, early morning for those in Ukraine and Russia. Almost immediately after that announcement, explosions were heard in several locations across Ukraine. Tomorrow here on the show, we're going to hear from Ukrainians and Ukrainian Americans here in southeast Michigan. We also hope and plan to hear from contacts that we have in Ukraine on the ground. But this Russian violence, these crimes, they've made all that uncertain. We're going to start today with one of Michigan's representatives in Congress reacting to this unprovoked invasion and what it means for Ukraine, as well as all of us here in the U.S. A little bit later, we will talk with Congresswoman Haley Stevens about her reelection campaign in Michigan's new 11th congressional district. But we felt like we had to start here with this sad and terrifying news from Ukraine. Congresswoman Stevens, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning. So, first of all, I just want to get your general reaction uh, as you saw the news coming in late last night. Uh, what were you feeling? What were you thinking? Look, it was a long and sobering and terrifying evening, um, terrifying for Ukrainian Americans here in Michigan and absolutely terrifying for the people of Ukraine who were attacked, uh, injured, and innocent loss of, of life. And hearing the missiles come down, um, listening to the, uh, reading the president's statement, his uh, outtake from his call with the, uh, with the head of Ukraine, it's just uh, absolutely catastrophic. And this is a premeditated act of war uh, being perpetuated by Vladimir Putin, and he needs to be held accountable. So with that in mind, um, you know, what uh, is Congress's role at this point right now? And what what do you envision that role being going forward? Well, look, the administration is going to make a series of decisions. We're already seeing some of those come down in terms of sanctions and the the role of the uh, the United States and our counterparts through NATO. And as it pertains to holding Russia accountable, it's actually really quite remarkable how many are stepping up across the world to support Ukraine and to condemn uh, the, the Russians and this Russian aggression, which, mind you, I believe is doomed to fail. I think it is uh, a feeble attempt of a weak leader who has lost his way in this pandemic. I have been dealing with uh, the Russians uh, for a considerable amount of time ever since I came into Congress due to the false imprisonment of my constituent, Paul Whelan. Mm. And as, as a member of a deliberative body in, in the United States House of Representatives, I want to see the House uh, vote on a resolution uh, to condemn Russia, uh, particularly for its false imprisonment of Paul Whelan. I think that we need to make sure that 
we have uh, resources. We need to get our budget passed and have a Department of Defense that is operating off of this year's budget rather than last year's. And that's what we're going to be going back to Washington to get done. You bring up your constituent, Paul Whelan. Um, how does this affect those efforts at this point? I mean, there, this has been it's been difficult to say the least up to this point, but um, what what does it mean for the uh, any effort to try to free him at this point? Yeah, look, it's been an incredibly long and drawn out situation, very painful for for his family, um, who I admire very deeply. And we are going to continue to support his family and to push for Paul's release. I'm very pleased to see that the Biden administration has not lost sight of Mr. Whelan and uh, another American counterpart, Trevor Reed, uh, another Marine who's being falsely in prison, American Marine who's being falsely in prison in Russia, and is is continuing to not only uh, put them at the forefront, but remember that as we deal with the Russians and negotiate uh, their their release, that's got to be paramount. But the, this relationship will change. This will change. Our relationship with Russia is is now different as of yesterday. It was uh, it was changing as we headed into this um, uh, attack, uh, unprovoked attack uh, by the Russians into Ukraine. And I am concerned for Paul Whelan. I'm concerned for his family, but I am not going to stop fighting for his release. And uh, I, your your uh, colleague, um, uh, Alyssa Slotkin, uh, was tweeting yesterday about the idea of uh, this new round of sanctions about making sure that Congress comes back and, and finalizes that package. I'm curious, how effective uh, do you think something like that could be, especially given the fact that at this point, so far, with uh, the sanctions that have already been in place, Russia has not been deterred? I think it's going to be incredibly damaging to the Russian economy and uh, Russian people. This is something that we need to take into consideration as uh, Putin doesn't necessarily have the will of his people uh, supporting his actions. And there's a lot of weaknesses. You have a political opponent of his who is in prison uh, and is being mistreated, who is also releasing uh, statements. This is Navalny. Uh, and and we need to continue to expose those weaknesses in the Putin autocratic regime. Those sanctions will do that, uh, and it will further isolate Russia from the rest of the world. They don't have uh, a strong economy uh, to begin with. And look, we are going to see the impacts of this back home. Oil already up. Uh, gas prices expected to go up during a time when gas prices are increasing. This isn't the result, though, of something the U.S. has done. This is a result of a madman who is launching a premeditated war on innocent people in a democratic country called Ukraine. And can you walk us through a bit of what that specific package of sanctions would do? What What is included in that? Well, we're waiting for a full briefing from the administration and entering into a, a dialogue with uh, uh, the Biden administration and through the House committees that will be uh, evaluating the, the sanctions. I know Nord Stream 2 is on the docket. I'm curious to learn if uh, banking uh, and how deep we will go with banking uh, as well as other goods. And also, I'm going to take into consideration that our automotive industry here in Michigan uh, is in a very trying time as it pertains to supply chain. And this isn't just for the big three, but a lot of our small and um, mid-sized manufacturers here in, in Michigan and some of the ways in which they rely on Ukraine uh, for, for goods. We've got a very complex and global uh, supply chain, particularly here in Michigan with our automotive industry. And so I want to make sure that we, as we continue to support and stand with Ukraine, uh, that we are, are are able to continue those lines of trade, uh, particularly for rare earth minerals that are supplied through, through that country. So it's not that we're in a wait and see mode because the administration is 
absolutely rolling um, these these uh, sanctions out uh, and is liaising with with Congress. They've got a lot of leeway and will continue to draw down on the expertise of our specialized House committees to support those efforts and be unequivocal. It is so important for us to be united right now. This is about democracy. Ukraine is a democracy. We have an autocratic nation with a uh, reckless leader who imprisons and attempts to kill his political opponents conducting an act of war on innocent people. Don't look away because there were apartment buildings, bombs last night, men, women, children hurt, injured, and and the like. And we have to be united uh, as a country in terms of holding Russia accountable and standing up for the innocent people of Ukraine. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Jake Neer sitting in for Stephen Henderson today. I'm speaking with Congresswoman Haley Stevens, a Democrat representing Michigan's 11th district, running for re-election in Michigan's new new 11th congressional district. We're talking about the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which happened just within the last 12 hours or so. Uh, and we are also going to be talking a little bit later about her re-election bid and what that means and what she hopes voters will keep in mind in August in the primary against Congressman Andy Andy Levin. Uh, if you want to get in on this conversation, please give us a call. Um, you know, what questions do you have for Congresswoman Haley Stevens? What do you make of the U.S. response so far to Russian aggression in Ukraine and now this invasion? And are you worried about what this invasion in Ukraine will mean for us here in the United States and for the rest of the world? You can give us a call at 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. You can also use the hashtag Detroit Today on Twitter. We will see those and we will try to get those in the conversation as well. Um, Congresswoman Stevens, um, do you personally foresee a scenario where the U.S. and or NATO would deploy troops in Ukraine on the ground? And uh, if so, do you think that President Biden should get authorization from Congress first? Well, the president shouldn't be acting unilaterally if we're going to deploy American troops. I think that's something we know is in our governing doctrines here in the United States. Uh, certainly the role that NATO is going to play and where NATO troops are located uh, in the western part of the country where many Ukrainians are fleeing is very symbolic. I think the ongoing role of NATO here uh, is going to be uh, essential. And look, we have to see how long and uh, far this uh, conflict goes. Uh, does Russia back off? Right now, we see Putin threatening, uh, countering uh, U.S. actions and um, other actions from, from the the West. And let's be really clear, we are not intimidated or afraid of Mr. Putin. Uh, I certainly am not going to be intimidated by his uh, flagrant uh, attempts to uh, keep the West at bay and to continue to uh, act in, in uh just unbelievable and deranged way as he tries to um, attack innocent people in Ukraine and drum up his own citizens for this war that's going to uh, hurt hurt their civilian base eventually as as well. So, so look, the the United States in terms of deploying troops, we are a long way from that. We're, we just ended a 20-year war in Afghanistan. I, I don't think anyone wants to see us take our own military or army uh, in, in into Russia right now. We've got other mechanisms to support people uh, in Ukraine and to support their government right now. Uh, you know, an incredible leader. Uh, right now in in Ukraine, uh, pulling on the international accords and working uh, through uh, the the West uh, to support his citizens, to support and protect in innocent life, and and that's where this is going to be for right now. I, we don't need to 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 jump the the gun and rush to put uh, American American troops in in harm's way uh, overseas. But but look, you know, if you're a country in Europe right now, this is a very different consideration. If you are Germany, uh, that's a shared continent. We are an ocean away here in the United States of America. 
before we get to the phones, uh, Congresswoman Stevens, I do want to talk a little bit about sort of the blame shifting that's been happening, uh, or at least there's been tr- attempts to uh, talk about blame here, um, and including on the Ukrainian government. Uh, there are a lot of people trying to uh, make the case that Ukraine is, uh, you know, has been attacking, uh, you know, Russians in Western Ukraine, um, and and things like this. There there has been this this line about the quote unquote denazification of Ukraine, which, you know, the president of Ukraine is Jewish. Uh, it is, um, to me, uh, someone who is uh, not an expert on Ukraine by any measures, it does seem absurd. But uh, I'm curious what you think of, of what you're hearing uh, from people who are sort of trying to make the case for Russia here. Look, we don't need to rush and sympathize. We, we don't need to sympathize with an autocratic nation and, and pull in a, a dark history. I, I was at Shabbat dinner on Friday and, and certainly there was just this past Friday and, you know, this came up and, and, and look, the World War II, when this took, you know, when Ukraine was acting in a certain way was absolutely very shameful, but that's, not where we we go today, and and certainly with uh, the the president of Ukraine uh, and his Jewish background, it is a you know it's a very different history right now playing out. We don't need to pull on the threads or even question our you know allied relationship with the the, the Germans today. Uh, that is pulling on threads. We have a democratic nation. We have innocent people in Ukraine who are being attacked through acts of war by a leader who of, of Russia, Mr. Putin, who is deranged, who has a viewpoint that he is going to recreate the Soviet Union. This is playing out on Western soil. It is completely unbelievable, and it will be damaging to world peace. So the United States is continuing to uh, work in close coordination with our allies and our partners. President Biden has taken those actions to um, hold Russia accountable, and we are gonna continue to act uh, accordingly and stand strong for Ukraine. I encourage everyone to uh, join in prayer, to recognize that we have a Ukrainian cultural center here in Southeastern Michigan, uh, a Ukrainian uh, crisis response team that is uh, acting uh, you know, here on the ground in the United States. My office is here to support people through constituent services, uh, particularly vis-a-vis the State Department and, and on. We need to be together and united and no question about where we are going to be supporting Ukraine and a democracy. Uh, let's go to the phones. The number is 313-577-1019. I want to go to Patty in Selfield. Patty, you're on Detroit Today. What would you like to say today? Yeah, I just got a couple, couple questions. You know, you know, you talked about the sanctions. What will the banking sanctions do? And why is not Ukraine part of NATO? I heard something last night, and I'm not sure if it was right, that Russia and China vetoed that. So those are the couple of questions. And my last thing is, you know, I think it's very sad, but, you know, I also feel like here we are spending $650 billion to go to war to, you know, to help Russia, where we got a lot of problems in the United States that a lot of that money could go to. Patty, uh, I appreciate the comment. I, I believe you mean uh, to help Ukraine. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Right. Uh, Patty, thank you again for the call. Uh, Congresswoman Stevens, how do you answer the, the questions that Patty has there, especially about uh, the banking sanctions and, um, and and so forth? Look, this is going to be a cutting off of Russia from uh, the, the global economy, and it is punishment for acts of war. It will uh, be a, a cut uh, to the to the nation uh, and their ability to succeed uh, economically, and their citizens will feel it. Uh, and we believe that it will convince, if that is the the, the sanction that has taken place, the analysis is is that will will pressure Mr. Putin to uh, withdraw. In terms of NATO, there's a long and storied history here uh, of of Ukraine's attempts to to join NATO and why uh, certain NATO members don't want them in NATO and why this is being utilized by the Russians right now uh, for this uh, uh, 
premeditated act of war that they are perpetuating uh, in in Ukraine. And it's it's really quite unfortunate. Uh, and I think that NATO will continue as an entity right now to to play a role in. Um, in, in calling this attack uh, what it is and protecting the, the loss of uh, innocent life here. We will have much more on the situation in Ukraine tomorrow here on Detroit Today. Coming up, we will continue this conversation with Congresswoman Haley Stevens. We'll talk about her reelection bid in the new 11th Congressional District and her primary against fellow Democratic incumbent Congressman Andy Levin. That's coming up on Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer, sitting in for Stephen Henderson today. Stephen's taking some well-deserved time off today, and he will be back next week. But I am very glad to join you today, and I'm also very glad to join Congresswoman Haley Stevens, a Democrat representing Michigan's 11th Congressional District, running for re-election in Michigan's new 11th Congressional District. Uh, And we are talking uh, right now about her re-election bill. And we want to get you in the conversation as well. Uh, What questions do you have for Congresswoman Haley Stevens about her bid for re-election? What do you make of the primary between her and fellow Democratic incumbent Andy Levin? And what do you make of these new political maps that were drawn and approved by our new redistricting commission? Do you think they did uh, the best job that they could? To, uh, that they could have done under the circumstances. The number on the phones is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. And uh, Congresswoman Stevens, um, you know, again, uh, this new district, this 11th district, uh, it includes a little over 40% of the constituents that you represent in your current district. That's the most of any other incumbent at this point. Uh, what do you make of the way Michigan's redistricting commission drew these lines? Well, look, I'm excited to have an Oakland County seat uh, in the United States Congress, and that's what the new Michigan's 11th district is. It was always a majority Oakland County seat. 60% of it was in Oakland County. I was really proud to flip this seat in 2018 from Republican to Democrat, help usher in a new majority uh, in the Congress, reestablishing trust, security, delivery for the uh, American people, protection for healthcare, and and on. And now, yeah, we've gone through a redistricting process. Tragically, Michigan is losing a congressional seat uh, again, just as we have since 1980, longer than I've been alive. And so the largest state geographically east of the Mississippi River will only be represented by 13 members of Congress come 2023. You've criticized uh, Congressman Levin for running in the new 11th district and not the new 10th district, which includes a lot of his current district. Um, uh, Even though you are the incumbent who shares the most territory and constituents in this new district, Congressman Levin does live in that district. Uh, You're moving to be in the district. Uh, Can you can uh, explain why you think it why why you are criticizing him for making that move, especially considering that he lives there and is raising a family there? Well, look, I think that's a little bit of a journalistic extrapolation. I'm not interested in criticizing any of my colleagues. I was asked about his uh, decision to run in the 11th district, and I just said that it was surprising uh, given that 70 percent, 512,000 of his constituents are in uh, Michigan's 10th district. That is currently right now an open seat in Michigan. We don't have an incumbent running there. And for me, this is about our Democratic majority, voting rights, climate change, uh, a woman's right to choose, uh, you know, passing common sense gun safety legislation. Why have a Democrat on Democratic primary if we have an open seat where, you know, you as Mr. Levin uh, represent 512,000 of those uh, constituents that can run there. But certainly understanding that, you know, you, you don't need to live in your congressional district, but he, he does live in the 11th district. It's likely very personal to him. I 
don't think I'm the only one asking that question, but but understanding that this is likely going to be what it's going to be. And, you know, I'm excited and grateful to be getting out and connecting with my constituents who've carried over in this 11th district, um, having the support of Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence, who represents the largest number of Democratic primary voters in the new 11th district, having her mentorship and leadership as uh, I, I run along with her endorsement and, and certainly um, just feeling grateful to connect with those new constituents and bring this district together, become the Democratic nominee and get reelected in November so I can continue delivering for the people. I don't mean to beat a dead horse here, but I just because you said uh, that your reaction was that you said you were surprised and that it, that it was an extrapolation. I, I do want to Fox 2 did quote you as saying, quote, I couldn't imagine abandoning over 70 percent of my current constituents in an open and winnable congressional seat to primary a fellow Democrat. I just I'm worried. I'm wondering about that word abandoning when you're talking about constituents, especially again, he's he's he lives in the district. Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. I, you know, look, I um, I have a really close knit relationship with all of my constituents. Um, the work that I have done to uh, get elected in 2018 and to win re-election in 2020, you know, dozens and dozens of town halls, over 5,000 uh, federal cases uh, solved for my my constituents. That's what I meant, right? Is when you have half a million people that you've been representing in an open seat, why wouldn't you continue to seek to represent them, right? Uh, it, it That to me was what I meant by, oh, I was surprised by his decision to, to run in a seat where, sure, he lives, um, but only represents a quarter of those constituents. Mm. Uh, I do want to give you an opportunity to talk about uh, the last term, the last two terms that you've been in Congress and what you view as some of your biggest accomplishments policy wise. Um, You know, what are some of those things that you hope that voters will keep in mind when they go to the ballot box, especially in, in August of this year? Well, look, I'm, you know, the first woman to ever win Michigan's uh, 11th district um, uh, in its old configuration. I'm the first millennial Michigan ever sent to Congress. I'm intent on representing the the voice of the future. I'm the vice chair of the House Science, Space and Technology Committee, ushering in a whole host of legislation to double scientific research funding, to invest in STEM education through equity and inclusion, working very closely with our schools connected with uh, people all over Oakland County to solve problems, uh, bring in new new solutions, and 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 look, you know, we've got a campaign with uh, you know our eyes on the prize about what this means for Michigan's future, right? Having served in the Obama administration, obviously during the auto rescue where I served as, as chief of staff, but even to today, uh, solving problems during a, a pandemic, making sure that we're getting our fair share of federal resources, working very closely with our mayors and municipal leaders. So the new 11th congressional district is pretty solidly blue. I think it's safe to say. Uh, so this primary is is sort of where the uh, the a lot of the attention is is going to be. Uh, not to discount, uh, you know, any Republican or other candidate that might run in in November, but uh, this is sort of where a lot of voters are trying to make a tough decision, especially Democratic voters against two incumbents. Uh, you know, and I think that a lot of Democrats probably think to themselves, "Look, I'm, I just want to vote for a Democrat. What is the what's the difference, right? What is the difference between these two candidates, especially because they both came into Congress at the same time? Uh, you know, can you uh, offer some uh, some some especially policy issues where you believe that you and Congressman, Congressman Levin have some daylight between you might have some significant disagreements on policy? Well, I, I know in a Democratic primary, that's what's on everyone's mind. And it's true that Congressman Levin and I have a 96 percent uh, similar voting record. I have 100 um, percent voting score with the AFL-CIO. Um, you know, I, I know that I, I voted for the USMCA that renegotiated NAFTA to invest in the American workforce and in, invest in our Michigan economy and our Michigan labor force. And, you know, Mr. Levin wanted to see uh, something else out of that. That trade trade agreement uh, and did not vote for it. But at the end of the day, 
this is not my charge. I am running to be the Democratic nominee, but Haley Stevens, as a Democrat in a Republican, previously Republican-leaning district, wins. Wins for our Democratic values, voting rights, raising the minimum wage, paid family leave, and on. That is what I am running to do. And I want to bring reform back to the Congress. I want to make our government work better for people for through transparency, through real debate, uh, getting dark money out of politics and on. That is what I'm up to. I, I'm not looking to have a, a, a Democratic primary. I'm not sure what this is all about. Again, to you know why we are in this situation. My charge has been the 11th district. When Dave Trott was holding this seat, not having town halls, I stood up for people when no one thought this was possible and we were successful. We made history. I became the first Democrat to hold the 11th district since before the moon landing. That's what this is all about. That's why I want this third term. That's what I'm going forward with. Remember who stood up for you when no one thought it was possible. Mm. Uh, I also asked Congressman Levin that same question yesterday. He says that he thinks that you're both good Democrats. He did say that. Uh, but he says he also sees notable policy differences. He's he's an original co-sponsor of Medicare for All, uh, which he says you haven't supported. Let's start there. What about Medicare for All and, uh, and, and, and your record on that? What are your thoughts about about that and uh, Congressman Levin's support of it. Well, look, time and time again, I have voted and continued to vote to protect people's health care in the state of Michigan and backed up our governor who led the Medicaid expansion in the state. I have voted and co-sponsored uh, the bills to lower the cost of prescription drugs. If you look at my health care voting record, it is perfect. Uh, I have always voted with the, the Democratic majority. I have you know, taken those votes again as a Democrat in a Republican-leaning district where people would come to the town halls and throw tomatoes at me and you know, and, and say, what are you doing? And I'm saying, hey, I'm standing up for you know, the woman whose door I knocked on in 2018 who was going through cancer treatment and looked me in the face and said, I can't believe that there are people trying to take away the protections for pre-existing conditions. You know, I have worked with our labor unions who've negotiated their, their health care, who want to see us continue with our same system, but certainly want to making, making sure that people aren't losing their job and being uninsured. Right. And, and so that's the progress. That's where we need to continue to go. I was just on an education and labor hearing. So, no, I'm I'm very proud of my health care record in the United States Congress. And I'm going to continue to vote accordingly to protect people's care. But for, for Democratic primary voters who do support a more universal health care system, Medicare for all, explain to them why you do not support that. Well, look, in terms of becoming an original co-sponsor on, on bills such as Medicare for All, I'm looking at what is best for the here and now. We're in the middle of a global pandemic still. We've lived through a lot of disruption. A Medicare for All system, which you know, arguably right, might lower costs, might increase costs you know, for, for the country, but, but also for the taxpayer, it's a lot of disruption in, an, in a very abrupt time. I've talked to seniors who are on Medicare. They say, hey, we're grateful for our Medicare, but it's really complicated setting it all up. It's really complicated getting signed up. So what do you say? to the working parent, the working union member, hey, we're going to put you on a system where you've got to feel your way around. You don't have your benefits manager. You don't have your same system. We need to get to a place where we have full coverage. We've, we're almost there in Michigan vis-a-vis -vis our Medicaid expansion. We've got to either do a public option. We've got to continue to fulfill the goals of the uh, Affordable Care Act. We've got to continue to keep subsidies low. So look, I, that's where I've been on this. And, 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 and I'm not afraid to talk about it. Uh, before we have to let you go, Congresswoman Stevens, I do want to get Ollie in Dearborn here on the conversation. Ollie, great to have you on Detroit today. What would you like to say? Uh, hello. I would like to ask uh, Congresswoman Stevens about her 2020 endorsement of Mayor Mike Bloomberg. Uh, I heard the Congresswoman talk about values and talk about dark money. Um, Mayor Bloomberg um, installed the racist stop and frisk program. Uh, he started a massive mass surveillance, discriminatory, illegal, unconstitutional uh, surveillance program against the Muslim community. Um, he also paid $2 million to help her get elected. So in this question of values and dark money, where does she stand on campaign finance reform? And 
why did she endorse Mayor, Mayor Bloomberg? Yeah, Ali, I really appreciate the question. Um, Congresswoman Stevens, talk about your endorsement of uh, Mayor Bloomberg and the concerns Ali has there. Well, well, look, the last time I checked, the 2020 election is over. We are glad that Donald Trump was defeated. Uh, that was my goal, all right, is we we just needed to beat Donald Trump. I was really proud of our whole Democratic, uh, 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 you know, slate of candidates running across the country. As I looked for that period of time where Mr. Bloomberg was in the race, it was about winning. And you can certainly see the number of people who were in his campaign, who were on the ground, and and this and that. I'm not here. And, and look, we have a lot of questions. A lot of people who believe the big lie right now. I was in the Capitol on January. Six. You know, I am not here to relitigate an election that is over. I was the first Democrat uh, member of Congress in Michigan alongside Congresswoman Lawrence to endorse Mr. Biden. Uh, you know, I was very pleased to have worked for him when he was running, uh, it, when he was the Democratic vice presidential nominee in two, 2008. He's doing a fantastic job. I'm going to be excited to campaign alongside him and Vice President Kamala Harris, who is a historic figure in her own own right, which we can recognize as Black History Month comes to a conclusion in just a few days here. And, and that's what this is all about for me. We needed to get Trump out of office. We overwhelmingly were successful in doing that with Mr. Biden, and I was pleased to support his candidacy. All right, Congresswoman Haley Stevens, I know I got to let you go. There are so many things that I wish we could have talked about today from transit to the America Competes Act and microchips. There's just so many things. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of time between now and the primary. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be able to have you on uh, soon so that we can talk about some more of these policy issues. Uh, really, we'll do just that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jake. Well, thank Bye-bye. you so much. Appreciate your time. All right, coming up on Detroit Today, uh, we are going to talk about all of this political upheaval that the redistricting process has caused here in Michigan, especially for incumbents like Congresswoman Haley Stevens and Congressman Andy Levin. And we'll go back to some of the basics. Do you know who's running in your new congressional or state legislative districts? Do you even know what those districts look like? What do you need to know to prepare yourself for those contests in this election year? I'll talk with Gongwer, Michigan reporter Ben Solis next on Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer sitting in for Stephen Henderson today. Michigan's new 11th congressional district well, um, is one of the many districts that have changed quite a bit because of the redistricting process uh, here in Michigan. There is a lot of upheaval. I mean, redistricting just pretty much always means that there are lots of changes in representation politically here in Michigan. But this time is a little bit different because we had a independent citizens redistricting commission, and that has changed so much of the landscape here in Michigan. Uh, And to talk about all of that and sort of where this leaves us, I am so excited to to welcome Ben Solis, reporter for Gongwer, Michigan, back here to Detroit Today. Ben, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jake. Happy to be here. So, uh, first of all, just give us an overview right now about the congressional districts. Who is running at this point in which districts, especially when it comes to sort of the front runners? Who are the people getting the most attention in uh, these districts? And what are some of the storylines that you're watching? Certainly. Well, I mean, as you as you had on earlier, the one of the big uh, incumbent fights is uh, Haley Stevens and, and Andy Levin. Um, you know, trying to see how that's going to shake out. We also know that uh, Fred Upton is is teasing a run again. We don't really know, but you know, his ads seem to appear that he's going to to run. So that will set some things up. You know, the congressional map. Um, we lost a seat, so it kind of sets up a pretty even split. But you know, we really won't know how that shakes out until uh, some of these elections happen. And I think that's going to be a theme is that we can make these assumptions. We can see where people are starting to file and, and where they're saying they're going to run. But, you know, the actual outcomes, um, you know, whether these maps are fair and they've, did, they've done what they are supposed to, it's still going to take a couple election cycles just to, to see. 
And and let's talk about some of the specific sort of big question marks out there right now. The one that comes to mind, the biggest one for me, is probably the uh, district that Andy Levin decided not to run in, which is the 10th, uh, which is now centered around Macomb County, southern Macomb County. Uh, what's going on there? And for people who live in that district, uh, what what do they need to know about who's running? Um, I actually can't answer that right now um, <laughs> I don't uh, have that information in front of me. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a toss up. It's uh, it's, it's going to be tough to see. It's it seems like one of the things about about some of these districts is in some cases you have. Uh, multiple incumbents, like we, we just talked about with uh, Congressman Levin and Congresswoman Stephen, was you know running against each other. And in places like the tenth, we don't really have a front runner, like a logical. We do have John James who is running for that seat uh, for Republicans, who's getting the most attention. For Democrats right now, it seems like it's been uh, difficult to really uh, find kind of what I would call a marquee uh, candidate, someone that lots of people know who already has sort of a base. Uh, and I think that that is one of the considerations that uh, a lot of people are are seeing after the redistricting process, um, and and so that is 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 interesting to me. Uh, and then on the west side of the state, like you said, uh, Fred Upton uh, teasing with these ads about you know is he is he running is he not here on the show? He said that he was waiting for uh, some of these uh, these these legal cases to play out before he makes an actual decision. Um, and uh, I, I think it's probably smart. And I, I'm curious if you agree with. With me, Ben, not to necessarily jump to conclusions when uh, when someone starts running ads, uh, you know that 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 absolutely means that they're running. Sure, you know, and I guess that's it's to be seen, right? And and the John James situation too. I mean, you have um, a candidate, a potential candidate who uh, has gone through a couple of election cycles. Obviously, has some some high name recognition. Did not win in those contests, but was you know building his name recognition across across the board to be able to do something like this. And uh, I think that's going to be a complication, especially, as you said, you know, if the Democrats don't have a candidate in line, a marquee candidate, someone who can match, you know, John James's um, recognition, it's going to be tough, you know. And it's interesting because these maps do give, uh, you know, the Democrats one of the, the better chances to, to make some uh, some ground in the legislature, too, here in Michigan, at least. And, um you know, it's it's going to be tough to see, and it really will come down to who are the candidates, how well are they campaigning, you know, and I think that was one of the goals of this whole process was to, you know, create a, a set of districts, or at least a map across the board where people would have to go out and actively campaign where things weren't safe, and uh, you really had to, you know, show your mettle uh, if you were going to go out there and win votes, and I think we're going to see that specifically with that John James race, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, we don't have time to go through all specific races in the state legislative seats, of course. we The entire state legislature is going to be up for election this year. But what are some of the interesting highlights or storylines on that level for state for the state legislature that you're watching right now? Certainly. Well, we've done an analysis of some of these, these legislative maps with the Senate map and, uh, you know, the House map. And, and talking about the Senate map, you know, as I mentioned, it gives Dems a, a fighting chance. There's at least 13 seats that we've seen that are, like, safe or likely Democratic and uh, 14 that are classified safe or likely Republican. Um, so that provides a much more level playing field for both of the parties to win. Um, you know, they can win the same number of seats. And it's more competitive uh, across the board with a pool. Um, so, you know, Democrats usually need to sweep the competitive seats just to hit 19 and uh, hope that their party wins the governorship again, obviously. Um, so that could break some of the ties. And also, you know, on the House map as well, we looked at it and we see that um, there are at least uh, thir- those 31 districts. So there's eight seats that kind of tilt democratically. There's 15 toss-up seats. And there's at least eight seats that, that tilt Republicans. So uh, that's what we're kind of watching here. Uh, obviously, there's the filings and, and, you know, people are starting to run. But again, it all comes down to um, we can make these grand assumptions about how these different, you know, districts are going to play out, depending on who's running and who's not. But we really won't see until this election is over and possibly a few more election cycles go through to see, you know, who really does have a fighting chance in these districts and who does not. It is interesting because usually um, the midterms are usually rough elections for the party in power in Washington, uh, in this case being Democrats. And then you have this other force moving with the re- with redistricting, making a lot more seats competitive. So uh, it seems like this is one of those big questions about what this will actually mean for representation could go in, in a number of different ways, it sounds like. 
Yeah, it really could, you know, and I think that's one of the, the big fights, too. That's one of the, the first court cases was about, you know, the, the U.S. Voting Rights Act and how well, uh, you know, the commission adhered to that. The idea was is that, you know, um, you know legislators in, in Detroit and Detroit residents and Detroit voters felt that the way that the maps are drawn specifically around them, that, you know, it could um, hinder minority representation, specifically black representation uh, in the legislature and, uh, you know, potentially in the U.S. House as well. Um, so again, that, that is on, you know, the top of everybody's mind. Outside of Detroit, you know, I know that some of these rural areas, I don't know if they're necessarily worried about, you know, uh, someone from their area or their community not representing them, but their bigger issue was the way that the maps were drawn and, and split up their communities, uh, which were, in their mind, their counties, their townships, you know, these traditional, uh, what, we, what we agreed upon before this uh, commission was, created were the, the standards for redistricting. So, uh, you know, uh, representation and how that's going to shake out, again, is, is the major concern. Uh, and I guess we'll see, you know, as, as you probably know, the uh, Michigan Supreme Court threw out that um, Detroit caucus case. Uh, it was Detroit caucus versus the, the commission. And that was the, the case that I was referencing that was about the Voting Rights Act. And so, mm-hmm. you know, with the Michigan Supreme Court, you know, kind of going with the commission's mode of thought on how the VRA interacts with their maps, um, you know, that could kind of hinder maybe some more future challenges to, to you know, to see who's going to represent who in these districts. But uh, again, that, that was kind of a, um, a bomb to, to some, of, some people who believe that these maps didn't uh, uphold uh, the Voting Rights Act or at least, you know, didn't represent uh, their communities for representation. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer, sitting in for Stephen Henderson today. I'm talking with Ben Solis, a reporter with Gongwer, Michigan. We are talking about where the redistricting process has left us in terms of political representation here in Michigan. We have primaries coming up in August and then, of course, general elections in November. Uh, and, you know, what do you think about how this is affecting your own representation? Uh, are you aware of how the redistricting process has affected your own districts, uh, whether it's state house, state senate, Congress. Um, what do you think? If you have seen those maps, what do you think? Do you think that these are more representatives, uh, more representative of the community that you live in? Uh, are you happy with the way that these maps were drawn? And uh, do you think you'll be better represented or maybe worse? Uh, what are some of the biggest election issues or storylines that you're watching this year? What do you What do you want from whoever is representing you in Congress? The number on the lines is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. You can also use the hashtag Detroit Today on Twitter, and we'll try to work you in that way as well. Uh, so, Ben Solis, uh, I'm curious, you know, you were just talking about these court battles about, around the uh, around these maps. Uh, update us on the ones that are current. We already talked about the, the VRA concerns that were thrown out by the Michigan Supreme Court. Uh, what, which ones are still working their way through, and what's the status of those? Certainly. Well, we have one in, in the U.S. District Courts, and that is um, one that was filed by uh, a group of uh, Republicans across the state, including uh, Republican Representative Bo Lefebvre from Iron Mountain. Um, and their, their concern is primarily to the one-person, one-vote clause, um, and, and it really is, is focused around that. There are some other issues that they've wrapped in, but that seems to be the primary argument that the, uh, the maps do not have equal population, and those equal population metrics are, are uh, a little, little screwy, so that's what they want uh, to see is fixed. They did provide a remedy map, which is something that the Detroit caucus did not do, um, they provided analysis, but they did not provide like a, a roadmap of saying, if you were to overturn this or you were to, to rule in our favor, uh, here's what we would like to see and give you kind of a guide. Um, so there's at least that there. And, you know, in, that, in that process, um, when you file a registering um, complaint in federal court, it goes before a three-judge panel, which includes a, um, a Sixth Circuit judge and then two uh, district judges here. Um, from Michigan. And so that's how it's going to play out. Three judges are going to hear this case. They're going to hear oral, oral arguments um, sometime in the next, next few weeks. I believe March 16th is the day that they're going to do that. I could be wrong, but that's what I believe the date is. So soon, so very soon, we'll, we'll have oral arguments there. Um, and, you know, that's, that's it's anyone's guess on how, you know, that's going to rule. The, the Western District where it was filed is, is a much more Republican-friendly uh, district. So, you know, Republicans filing this challenge in a Republican-friendly district 
kind of bodes well for them. But, you know, as we saw with the Michigan Supreme Court throwing out the Detroit caucus case, you know, kind of eschewing these um, long-held ideas of how the Voting Rights Act actually works, uh, you know, we could, see, we could see another disappointment for, you know, the Republicans who filed that lawsuit there. And then also in state court, um, which would then go again before the Michigan Supreme Court, uh, the League of Women Voters of Michigan and, and several other plaintiffs um, have filed a challenge against the commission, uh, saying that the, uh, the maps, they lean too Republican and that, you know, bucked the the essence of the commission trying to draw a balanced or fair map. Um, so we'll see how that shakes out, too. Uh, you know, our analysis does show that some of these maps do lean a little bit more Republican. Uh, some of the open source, like, data analysis websites show that um, some of these maps lean a little bit more Democrat than what we've analyzed. So, you know, it, it's, again, going back to how is this going to shake up in the election. Um, I'm not sure that you can necessarily say with, with you know, definite answers, even with data and analysis, um, that these maps are going to shake out the way that they are. So that's that's the chief concern of the League of Women Voters is that you know that despite all the the painstaking process of trying to make these maps uh, even fair for both parties, their concern is that they that the Republicans still have an advantage. And even if they don't, even if they do lean more Democratic, I've heard from people in the Republican caucus constantly that they still believe that they can win and get out there on their messaging. You know, you mentioned the um, incumbent party usually takes a beating um, in, in elections post a presidential election. Obviously, President Biden is our, is our president, and, um, you know, the Republicans are going to do everything they can to try to flip as much as they can. And the Republicans here, at least in the legislature, uh, believe that they can still hold all that ground. And Ben, I'm just about out of time, but what advice would you give people who aren't sure about their new political districts, what they look like, who's running in those seats? Uh, what should they do? I think they should consume as much news media as they can about this. Um, you know, the, the news media... We're not biased done, here, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely not. I think, I think the news media locally has done a really good job um, covering this, um, especially in Detroit. Uh, there's a lot of information and resources out there. Uh, those maps are available online. You can take mm-hmm. a peek at what they look like. You can kind of compare them to the old maps. All those resources are out there. Um, just educate yourself. The resources are there. And, uh, you know, turn out, turn out to some of these rallies, see who these candidates are. There's going to be a slew of candidates who you've probably never heard before, um, you know, speak and, and, and share their policy ideas. And I think that's really um, where they're going to go. And I think that's the, the, the point of the commission, right? To, yeah. to engage people. Yeah. Here we are. Ben Solis, reporter with Gongra, Michigan. Always great to talk with you, Ben. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate it. All right, that's all for Detroit Today. Tune in tomorrow. We'll hear from Ukrainians and Ukrainian-Americans living in Southeast Michigan and what they're thinking and feeling as Russia invades. This is WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Thanks so much for listening.